Hear the word of the Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. And Paul in Romans 12 Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, glasses, they help you to see what you otherwise would miss. Now, I have to wear reading glasses because of my age. <laughs> but also, said so that I can see correctly. Thus, you know, the lenses are called corrective. They correct, yeah, so, so to look through... God's mercy is also a corrective lens. You know, over the last three Sundays, maybe you've noticed this, we've been saying that we should view through the lens of God's mercy. We said uh, two weeks ago, we said we talked about viewing through, viewing our troubles through the lens of God's preemptive mercy since he planned to save us. Last week, we said that the view through God's mercy changes the view of everything. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see others. It changes the way we operate in serving. And here, this latter part of Romans 12 teaches us how looking through the lens of God's mercy enables us to see what type of community life we are to cultivate. It's one that that begins with loving sincerely and ends with overcoming evil with good. Now, the text is usually seen as a, a series of commands that can stand on their own, and, and that, that's true, they can, but if you keep reading it, you see that more and more it's like a piece of fabric that's tightly woven together. 
The strength of the fabric is, 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 is known, it's valuable as long as the threads are in place. Remove one thread and the strength of the whole is lost. So don't be tempted, don't be tempted to pull on what appears to be a loose string. Because in the fabric of the text, love is woven over and under and, and around and about all of the other ideas and the commands of the text. Because even, even with the command of leaving room for God's wrath. And we focus on this. What do you do? What are we to do with these commands to love sincerely and leave room for God's wrath? It's possible, it's only possible for this to happen, to see it correctly, when you view through the lens of God's mercy. So we must ask, looking through the lens of God's mercy, how do you leave room for God's wrath? Three things. You have to cultivate a love that is sincere. You have to displace and make space. And then you have to eat and drink the love of God. So cultivate a love that is sincere. The love that is sincere breaks down barriers and, and it ends divisions. Look at what verse 9, 10, and 16 says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And then verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now you might ask, how does, how does this break down barriers and in division? Well, you keep in mind that Paul is writing to, and he's writing to slave owners and slaves. He's, he's writing to Roman citizens and plebes. He's, he's, Rome, Rome was such a, a class stratified, hierarchical, not to mention ethnically diverse culture and, and empire that these teachings that Paul is, is putting here, they're radical. It's radical because, so, so you're the slave owner, you say, I'm Dominus. I'm the Lord of the slave. What do you mean? Honor him. Honor her. What do you mean? Their duty is just to obey what I say. But if you're going to worship God with your body, with your renewed mind, your love and, and your love is sincere, you will honor that man or woman as one of your family, as Paul is saying here, because of God's mercy that has been given to you. See, uh, in our day, it would be the suburbanites who are counting it an honor to be among those who live in the inner city. It's the worker in the meatpacking plant who, is, who isn't hating the CEO for their position because he is offering his body as a living sacrifice, his mind renewed so that his love is sincere. And they go to the same church. And that meatpacking employee is the pastor of the CEO. <laughs> and neither, neither are taking pride in their position. 
See, that's how, that's how radical this is. Or, to put it broadly in, in racial terms, it's the descendants of slave owners and the descendants of slaves worshiping together in the same church and working together to see each other flourishing. So the Spirit of God, you see, is not about enabling homogeneous groups according to class and gender and race or or any other such identity, sub-identity category the world would push us into. But God has placed us in the one body of Christ and says love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love. Sincerely. Even to the point of loving your enemies. See, looking through the lens of God's mercy, we are to cultivate love to the point where we don't seek revenge even on our enemies. Verse 19 says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Love that is sincere leaves room for God's wrath. So you have to displace and make space. Displace your wrath and make space for God's wrath. You see, this isn't to be construed as as passivity, because it isn't saying to let people get away with their injustices or, or, or how they've wronged you. No, you're not to become a doormat. That's not what it's saying at all. But scripture shows us that and tells us and teaches us that, that God's face is against those who do evil. So you can't expect to do evil. Because someone has done evil to you, expect and, and expect that God is going to look the other way. No, his face is against those who do evil. So love, on the other hand, remains active and preemptive because the Bible calls us to take positive action. Look what it says in verse, in, in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Verses 20 to 21, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So instead of evil for evil, we overcome evil with good. Instead of, of starving your enemy and saying, oh, that's what you get, what you deserve. Love feeds them. Instead of letting your enemy die of thirst, love gives them something to drink. You see what the scripture is saying? You're not merely responding in kind, but you are actively, internally, not hating your enemy. Internally. You know how, you know how this works. You get pulled over by the police for speeding. You take the ticket and you smile and you say, have a nice day, officer. (laughs) But inside, you're hoping he has a flat tire on a road with no shoulder in the rain and his spare has no air. You see, what's, what's, what's the end here? 
It's so that you, it's so that you might open their eyes to God's love. And perhaps no one in the history of our nation in the last 65 years understood this better than Martin Luther King Jr. In a talk that he gave titled The Experiment of Love, he talks about the use of nonviolence in understanding what the fight is for, what the fight is, and what you're fighting for. Listen to what he says. To meet hate with retaliatory hate would do nothing but intensify the existence of evil in the universe. Hate begets hate. Violence begets violence. Toughness begets a greater toughness. We must meet the forces of hate with the power of love. Our aim must never be to defeat or humiliate the white man, but to win his friendship and understanding. The nonviolent resistor must often express his protest through non-cooperation or boycotts, but he realizes that these are not ends themselves. They are merely a means to awaken a sense of moral shame in the opponent. The end is redemption and reconciliation. The aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community. I love that phrase. While the aftermath of violence is tragic bitterness, The tension is, at bottom, between justice and injustice, between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And if there is a victory, it will be a victory not merely for 50,000 Negroes, but a victory for justice and the forces of light. We are out to defeat injustice and not white persons who may be unjust. Do you you see how he's thinking? He's, he's He's not thinking politically right or politically left, he's not thinking middle, but he's thinking biblically. He's displacing, he's displacing his wrath and making space for God's wrath. And so you can only, you can only displace and make space when you look through the lens of God's mercy, which means then that we need, we need, we need to eat and drink the love of God. Because who can obey this? Who can obey this? I mean, this is so counterintuitive. It's, it's so countercultural. I mean, we, we grow up, we cut our teeth on revenge, don't we? How do we, how do we have the power then to let our love be sincere and leave room for the wrath of God? See, viewing through the lens of God's mercy, God's mercy relieves us from God's wrath. Hallelujah. You see, in, in that Old Testament reading, when David says, when David says, vindicate me, O Lord. Lord, you make me right. Because I have trusted in you without wavering. And then he says, and then he says, test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Where does he get the confidence to pray such a thing? Because who can stand? Who can, with, who can stand in the presence of a holy God? You see, the only way, the only way that you can gain this kind of confidence is to do what the psalm, do what David did, do what the psalmist did when he says in verse 3, for your love is ever before me and I will walk continually in your truth. He keeps the love of God in front of him. His confidence is in God's love for him, not in his ability to please God. God's love 
relieves him of the pressure of self-salvation, of self-righteousness. Romans 5, 8, 9 tells us this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You see, Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr., he said this, the cross is the eternal expression of the length to which God will go in order to restore broken community. Ah. Our community is broken, isn't it? What lengths do you go through when we see the cross? Because this restoration, this restoration of the community is felt more and more when the community views through the lens of God's mercy here in the sacrament. Because in the sacrament of the Lord's table, we remember that when we were enemies of God, Jesus gave us something to eat, something to drink. He gave us his body and his blood. And he said in John six fifty five, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. See, in his body and through the shedding of his blood, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for us and brought to us the mercy of God. Hallelujah. You have not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain mercy. Hallelujah. And now in the Lord's Supper, we are fed Our thirst is quenched and the wrath of God is satisfied. So the vindication we need is in Christ. The sincerity of our love is rooted in Christ. The altar in which we wash our hands in innocence, Psalm 26, 6, is here in the Eucharist, in the great thanksgiving. We leave room for the wrath of God. Every time we come to the table of our Lord.